0: we are in 2nd Thessalonians last week we finished 1st Thessalonians and as i've said each and every week because of all that we've seen taking place in our world this year, we decided that we would look a great deal at Bible prophecy, specifically what does the Bible say about end times prophecy? And then we've also been talking about faith. And so that led us to the study of First and Second Thessalonians, because the theme of first and second Thessalonians is, is, is uh, faith or living out life in the end times. And it has some of the most condensed end times Bible prophecy. So you'll recall, if you've been with us in our study, it was in, chapter, it was in 1 Thessalonians that we talked about topics like the rapture of the church, and we talked about the tribulation, and we'll be talking about that more and more as we, we uh, go through 2 Thessalonians. So we finished 1 Thessalonians last week, and um, today as we begin 2 Thessalonians, we're going to go through chapter 1. Now, I need to tell you on the front end, it's on, on the one hand, we're celebrating 23 years of Calvary and all the great things that are you know, taking place. And then on the other hand, 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, not the happiest chapter in, in the Bible. So just so you know that. So 2 Thessalonians was written probably a few months after 1 Thessalonians. No more than a year, and so th- some things have been going on, and so Paul the Apostle wrote back to the Thessalonians literally it, it appears to be months or so after his first letter and so one of the things that we 've talked about each week is that we, we need to keep in mind as, as most of us grew up in church you know and, and uh, we, we went to Sunday school growing up and you know and, and all of those things and, and some of us we, well we didn't grow up in church, but we've been in church for for a couple of years this church is, is very new. They come from a very pagan background. So all of this is very new to them. So you, 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 you want to keep that in mind as you travel through. So one of the verses that we've looked at back in first Thessalonians chapter one, Paul told them that you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So always keep in mind that everything that's taking place is brand new to them. This is a whole new deal for them. So what I want you to write down first of all to understand this is that this church is going through persecution. And uh, I I like to underline in my Bible because sometimes when I do that, it helps things to pop where I really get what's going on. But if you would uh, just uh, underline a couple of things as we look at a couple of verses before we begin, if you go to chapter one and you go to verse four and verse four, he says, therefore, we speak proudly among you, all the churches of God for your perseverance and faith In the midst of all you, and you want to underline your persecutions and afflictions, however, your Bible says it. And then, if you go down to verse five, and uh, you go down to the very last line of verse five, it will say something like, Indeed, uh, which you are suffering. Does your Bible say something like that? And so you want to underline that. So this is a suffering church. Being a believer is not easy. Verse six, it says, for for after all, it's only uh, just for God to repay with affliction those who, and then you want to underline, afflict you. So terrible things are happening to the people in this church. Verse seven, and he says, and to give relief to you who are afflicted. And so they're going through a very, very difficult time. And so it was back in chapter, uh, well, back in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, there on your outline, Paul said, you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. So when it says their own countrymen, that would be the, the Greek and Roman population around them. You know, if, if they were in Jerusalem, it would be more the, the Jewish population. But here it's people who come from a pagan background who are persecuting the believer's who are here in Thessalonica. So it was in Thessalonica where the governor said that every person in this town, in this region, has to bow down before the statue of Caesar. So whatever god you wanted to worship, you could worship. and No, no problem with that. But you also had to acknowledge Caesar as a god. And uh, so, and I'm going to read from just one commentary here. It says, when the Christians were invited to just bow down before the Roman images, the Roman image, their lives could be spared if they would merely take a pinch of incense and put it on the fire that burned in the presence of the image of the Roman Caesar. The Christians died rather than compromise with a pinch of incense, so all they had to do was to take a, a a pinch of incense and literally just put it on the fire that was in front of the statue of Caesar, and and then they could go their way. It was you know we say it's a small thing, but but the Christians would say I can't compromise my faith even with just a small compromise like that. So it cost them dearly; it cost them their lives and their businesses. Well when you think about our situation, we're not there yet. Um, but, but, I, but if you were to look at what's taking place in this generation, um, it was just a few years ago where our government changed our constitution and redefined marriage. And it was in that time where, as you know, the lady in Kentucky who was the clerk of courts said, because of my conscience, I can't sign certain marriage certificates. And so they threw her in jail. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. They threw her in jail. Guys, it used to be in our country, when we didn't like the job that you did, we just fired you. But now uh, you can find yourself being thrown in jail if you go against uh, what, the, what the current uh, thinking is. And then we mentioned last week, if I can be just a little bit redundant, that this year in our country, we saw for the first time inmates in prison released to the street uh, over fears of the virus yet they were released to the street over fears of the virus and christians who went to church were arrested and sent to jail So, so we are beginning to see some of these things. And I can tell you, based upon many years of study in the Bible, it does not get better. And so you want to keep that in mind. So it was in Thessalonica where the first Christians were crucified for their faith. They were burned alive for their faith. And this is all beginning there. So as persecution began, One of the things we're going to find in chapter two, many of them thought that they had missed the rapture of the church and they were in the tribulation. And so chapter two, Paul is going to talk about this is not the tribulation. This is bad, but this is not the tribulation. And then when we get to chapter three, what we're going to find is that others felt like what's so bad that Jesus has got to be coming back any day now, so they quit quit their jobs. And uh, they were kind of freeloading and and, uh, having other people support them, so Paul's going to talk about that. So there's three chapters in, in this book, but they're so much to say. So I'm going to highlight some things as we go through, uh, just to give you enough perspective. But then you think about this as you go and maybe look some things up later. So we're going to call this today, this present distress. I'm going to pick it up in verse one, one and two, and it says, Paul and Silvanus or Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, does your Bible say in God? Universally, all of your Bibles will say in God. And I want you to underline that word in, and I'll show you why in just a moment. Uh, to um, those who are in God, Church of Thessalonians, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the reason I had you underline that is many times in the New Testament, when Paul would write to a church, he would say to the church, which is in A certain area or a church at a certain place. So I put there on your outline, if you look at the second line, Paul would say to the church of Galatia, he'd say to the churches in Galatia. Does everybody see that? And uh, then he says to all in Rome. But you notice there he says to the church of the Thessalonians in God. Now that's going to be important because Paul wants them to know right up front, guys, you are in God. And so I'm not writing to the church that's in Thessalonica so much. I'm writing to the church that's in God. So so why? And and the reason is because when you're going through very difficult times, one of the things that can happen is that we all feel like when we're going through a difficult time, uh, it's almost like we we feel like we've fallen out of the favor of God. That God is somehow mad at us. Maybe there's sin in our life. And so Paul wants to encourage them. There's nothing like that going on here. You are a church. And you are in God and you you are right doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing. You know, sometimes we feel like God is mad at us or or that you know something. Am I the only one who's ever felt that way? So so Paul says, No, you are in God. He wants to drive that point home. So they're not just the church at Thessalonica, you're the church in God. So go ahead and write this down to the suffering. We say to the suffering church. He wants to convey that you are secure in God. God has not left you. Uh, You're not in sin. You didn't do anything wrong. This is just persecution that comes because uh, people are hostile to Jesus. Now, the very fact that they did not run away when uh, things got difficult is evidence that they really are in God because there's no way that you're going to stick with the Lord in difficulty if it's not really true in you. So Paul then highlights some things that took place in them in the midst of persecution. There's so much more to these things that we can say. I'm just going to highlight some things as we move through. So we're going to pick it up in verse three. And he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because, and I've underlined, your faith is greatly enlarged. And you want to underline that. And the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. So one of the things that we notice in them, and you want to write this down, their faith was growing. Their faith was growing. In uh, their difficulty, the effect that it was having on them is they, they weren't believing less, they're, they're believing more. They're, they're holding on to, to the Lord. Um, years ago, I used to listen to a guy named Steve Brown on the radio. How many of you remember Steve Brown? Steve Brown had this saying he used to say, he says, you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. And, uh, and uh, it's in that time that your faith begins to grow. Well, um, let me say it like, like this and go ahead and write this down. Difficulty doesn't just make me, it reveals me. It reveals me. Jesus would say it like this, There in your outline, Jesus says, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or, and you want to underline persecution, arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So persecution and difficulty have a way of revealing the truth of our faith. We all know people who are all in with Jesus as long as everything is going their way and everything's you know positive, but at the first sign of difficulty, they're out. Well, that reveals something. It reveals the the truth. So in this time, their faith is growing, and Paul acknowledges that. Another thing that we notice, and you want to write this down, their love was increasing. Their love was increasing. Let me read verse three again. He says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one, towards one another grows ever greater. When you go through difficult times, it has uh, the the effect of either doing one of two things. You either bond together or it tears you apart. Do you agree with that? You know, Cheryl and I, I we're celebrating here 24 years of marriage here in the next couple of months. And um, I, I loved her the day that we got married, but I, and I, I still do, but it's so much deeper. It's deeper. And it's deeper because of the things that we've had to walk through and navigate through, and it's bonded us together. And, and so what happens when you go through difficult times, it's either going to bond you together or it's going to tear you apart. And and we've seen people who go through difficult times and then they're torn apart. That's very, very revealing. So difficulty has that way. So here in the church of Thessalonica, as they, as a congregation, are going through persecution. And keep in mind, this is all brand new to them. This is bonding them together. And so Paul is acknowledging that. Well, their faith is growing. Their love is increasing And then write this down, their perseverance was developing. So verse four, he says, therefore we speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions, which you endure. And there in your outline, I just put in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Again, it's you will meet people that are all in with Jesus until difficulty comes their way. And it's in that time, their faith is revealed and they're gone. And other people you look on and you say, how can you still walk with the Lord? And and you're going through all of this. And and God has a way of revealing that. So they hear their perseverance is developing. There in your outline in, in Romans, Paul would say, tribulation doth work Endurance has a way of of causing us to, to grow in our endurance. So here God is using persecution and tribulation in their lives. And let me just say he's not sending it. It's something that just happens. We live in a fallen world. People are hostile. And but he uses it in our lives. When it says persecutions there, that's from the outside. That's from people. Tribulations in this case are the things that come with the persecution. So so you, you're persecuted by certain people. And in that case, they might be losing their house or their business or well, the persecution. And then there is the, the tribulations that come. That's more the result of what they're walking through. So it's a difficult time for this church. But you want to write this down. Their testimony was helping others. So once again, verse four, therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Uh, I put it there in your outline from the New Living. It says, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. So their faith is being revealed and uh, they're going through a difficult time. But as others are facing a difficult time, they're encouraged uh, by that. Now, you have to know right up front, I have no love for persecution or tribulation. People who go through persecution uh, and they walk through it, they're deep. I'm okay with being shallow myself. If God sends it to me, I'll, you know, he's going to have to give me what I want, but I'm not going to go looking for it. So, um, so uh, are you like me? or <laughs> Yeah, good, right congregation. So, so then Paul says, he says, so, so guys, here's what you need to know as you're facing this difficulty. It's just not that you face difficulty, but there are some things, there's some outcomes here and you need to know this. So first of all, you want to write this down. Uh, there's going to be a reward for faithfulness. There's a reward. Now you can read verse five in your Bible. I'm going to read it on your outline. The NIV captures it as much more clear. And Paul says in verse five, he says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Uh, the very fact that you're willing to go through it, it, reveals that you will be counted, you will be counted worthy of that. It's a, there's a difference between going to heaven and receiving the kingdom of God. You know, it's, the kingdom of God is like an inheritance, so if you're a believer, you go to heaven, but there's a reward there. And there on your outline, Paul would say it like this. He says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. So for those who are going through it for him, he wants them to know that there's a great reward. There's a great re- reward for that. But then not only that, and this is the fun part, at least for me, uh, there will be judgment. And you want to write that down. There will be judgment. Judgment. Um, verses six through nine. I'm going to read in your Bibles. You might want to underline a couple of things. First of all, he says, for after all, it is only just for God to, and my Bible says, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed. I want you to underline when the Lord Jesus will be revealed. I want to highlight something there. From heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution. Go ahead and underline retribution. Is that a fun word or what? Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So a couple of things that you need to know in that Um, because sometimes that can make us a little bit uncomfortable. So let let me give some perspective. I want you to go to verse eight. And uh, in verse eight, he says, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now we read that in English and from our perspective. And, and so it's just like, it sounds like God's just going to pour out, you know, judgment on those who, who don't know. Well, in, in Greek, the, the second clause makes it clear that the first clause is not talking about simple ignorance, but of this willful rejection. So it's not just talking about people who don't know, uh, it's they've they've willfully rejected is the idea of what's going on. So they've heard it, they reject it. And uh, keep in mind that those who have rejected it are now persecuting the Thessalonians at this point in our culture, we are comfortable with the Jesus who kisses the babies and says, love one another, be kind to one another. Uh, But the Jesus who says, I am coming back in wrath makes us a little bit uncomfortable at times. So a couple of things in that. First of all, this is more like a side note. In uh, verses seven and eight there, I put it there on your outline. And it says, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed, and I've underlined that word revealed, and then that Greek word "apocalypse" from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution. So that word revealed in the original language is the word "apocalypse," from where we get our English word apocalypse. So when you hear about apocalypse, Uh, You know, people say, well, that's the end times and, you know, and all that, that apocalypsis just means revealed. That's all it means when he's revealed. And uh, one of the things that we notice is that when Jesus came the first time and he was revealed, he came one way. He came as, we would say, a lamb. Um, And we have the opportunity to accept or reject. But when he comes back again, Uh, when he's revealed again, that apocalypsis, that word after uh, he's come the first time when he comes back again, that word is always attached to judgment. When he's revealed again, it's going to be in judgment, which is why when you look at the first line of the book of Revelation, it opens up with the revelation of Jesus Christ or the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. And so, and then when you read the book of Revelation, it has a lot to do with judgment. So the first time he came to the earth, he brought a free gift of salvation, he, the Holy Spirit, eternal life. Uh, but for those who reject, for those who've been persecuting the church, when he's revealed again, that's attached to judgment. So far, so good? Now, I love in verse 6, he says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay you, to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And one of the things you notice in the Bible is that when God pays back, uh, he tends to do it in the same way. So let me give you a couple of stories. Do you remember the story where the nation of Israel, they are enslaved there in Egypt? And Pharaoh makes this decree And he says, he says, we want you to take all the baby boys that are born and drown them in the Nile. Do you remember that great story? Well, how does that end? Well, the baby boys aren't drowned in the Nile, but all of Pharaoh's army, which is all male, are drowned in the sea. God has a way of bringing it back around the same way. In the book of Esther, you have a man named Haman who hates the Jewish people. And so he builds a hangman's gallows to hang the Jewish people. Well, they're not hung, but guess who is? He is. Uh, You have in the book of Daniel, you have the king's advisors, and they kind of trick King Darius to arrest Daniel and throw him into the lion's den. Uh, Daniel does okay. But the next day, what happens? Well, all the advisors are thrown into the lion's den. And, and so you have this very poetic justice that God likes to, to bring about. Now, uh, I like that. So <laughs> <laughs> you might be uncomfortable with it, but, uh, but I'm okay with it. Now, let me go just a little bit further with this. Some people are very uncomfortable with the whole concept of Jesus coming back in wrath. I like to explain it like this. You and I are created in the image of God, which means there are certain things that we can learn about God by looking at ourselves. And, uh, you know, the the rest of the creation is not created in the image of God, but, but we are. So dads, if I can speak to the dads, you know uh, that we can get over a lot of things. You know, I, I've said, if somebody embezzles my bank account, takes all my money, I always say, if you need the $27.50, you just take it. I'll get over it. <laughs> you, you, you wreck my car, it's just metal. I don't care. But, but dads, isn't it this way? Somebody hurts or violates our kids, it's war. Do you agree with that? It's war. And well, guys, you need to understand that that comes... From being created in the image of God. So, so animals don't do that. Animals don't do that. So, you know, you, you eat a baby cow, Papa Cow doesn't hunt you down it, because they're not created in the image of God. You know, and, and dads, you know, like I like to say, I was young, now I'm old, you know, uh, you hurt my kid, it's war, you know, I'm okay with going to prison, three hots in a cot, I'm good, but. but <laughs> you hurt my kid, and, 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 and you get that from being created in the image of God. So, so don't, don't beat yourself up too much the next time you get a little ruffled that somebody hurt your kid. Um, so, so I like to share it like this. Years ago, I went to a seminar, and uh, in this seminar, they were teaching parents and they were teaching children what is the most powerful thing to say when something bad is about to happen to you. And, uh, and so they came up with this phrase. And parents, this is a freebie. We teach our kids this phrase, and uh, you need to teach your kids this phrase. But let me give it to you, and then we'll unpack it. So you want to write this down. The most powerful words are, I will tell my dad. I will tell my dad. So, so here, dad's your 16-year-old little girl She's in a compromising situation and right now saying no isn't stopping. If she would just say, I will tell my dad. It's very powerful. In molestation and abuse cases, it's very common for the offender to say, don't tell anyone. We tell our kids, you say, I will tell my dad. And and, and here's why. Intrinsically, we know about the wrath of dad. Does that make sense? And so, so that I will tell my dad is very, very powerful. So spiritually speaking, somebody has told God, somebody told daddy, and he wants you to know daddy's coming because somebody hurt one of his. I love this verse there in your outline. Jesus said it like this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Heavy words from Mr. Forgiveness, isn't it? What is he saying? Daddy's coming. Daddy's coming. So, so just know that. That's where that comes from. Just like you feel about your kids, he feels about you as his kids. And so if you feel that wrath, he does too on your behalf. Make sense so far? Verse 10, verse 10 says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Now, very quickly, I'm not gonna spend time on this because we'll look at it later. But when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day to be marveled among all, who have believed for our testimony to you, has been revealed. Um, In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, we talked about the rapture of the church. And here, you you have another event, and they're very different. In chapter 4, the rapture, Jesus returns in the air. Here in chapter 2, we refer to this as the second coming. This is where Jesus returns to the earth. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Jesus comes for the church. Here, he comes with the church back to the earth. In chapter 4, believers, 1 Thessalonians and the rapture, believers escape the tribulation. Uh, But here, when we come back, there's coming back with judgment, we might say wrath. Chapter four, the tribulation of 1 Thessalonians occurs in an undisclosed time. This event occurs at the end of the tribulation. We'll talk about that as we go. So then Paul says, all of this is happening. So here's what we are praying for you. And so verse 10 and 11 or 11 and 12, he says, to this end, we also pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfilled every desire for goodness, uh, for for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I put this there in your outline. Therefore, we pray. We also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of His calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and work of faith with power, and that word power there is dunamis, and we'll talk about that. So very quickly, Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. First of all, I'm praying that God would help you live up to his call, his call. Uh, There in your outline from the New Living, it says, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. I should have put it on your outline, but that word call can also be translated as choice but it's only by God's enabling that they're going to be able to go forward. So Paul is praying for that. Second of all, he prays that God would fulfill their purpose. He says there in verse 11, he says that he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. There's still something that God wants to do in them and through them. So he's praying that they would fulfill their purpose, that God would empower them to do that. Then I would suggest... That uh, Paul prays that they would experience what I like to call miracle power. Miracle power. When he uses that word, says work of faith with power, and I mentioned that word dunamis there. That word we looked at that in First Thessalonians. Uh, It means force, uh, especially miraculous power. And you want to underline that. Usually by implication, a miracle itself. And that's what the word means. It means miracles. It means miracles. So we looked at that, and what we find is anytime you see the word miracles in the Bible, it's this word dunamis. So for instance, in Luke's gospel, it says the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles. And that word there is dunamis, which they had seen. And uh, you'll recall when we were back in 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power or dunamis in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So commentators will say, Adam Clark's commentary says that the best way to translate translate that was our gospel didn't come to you with just words, but it also came with attesting miracles. Uh, It wasn't just a nice message. God was doing some very, very specific things. And so there uh, it can be said, Paul says, I'm praying that you're going to have all of this with power. You could also say with attesting miracles that uh, when you have God showing up and doing some things in your life that you look at and you say, that can only be the Lord. It has a powerful effect in your walk with the Lord as you face some things. A few good God stories go a long way. Verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. And uh, go ahead and write this down. People draw conclusions about Jesus based upon what they see in me. Based upon what they see in me. As people see this church being faithful, even in a very difficult time, they look on and they say, there must be something real what these people believe, because who would go through that and hold to that belief if it wasn't? Did you find that interesting today? Good, good. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up. And uh, as we do, I want to give you the encouragement. If you've not yet come to the place where you have received Jesus into your life, you've accepted his free gift of salvation, forgiveness of your sins, becoming part of his family for now and for all eternity, as we close in prayer today, you have that opportunity. Let's pray. Father. As we wrap this teaching up today. We pray that, that um, Lord, we're not facing what these people are facing. But yet, Lord, if we ever are called to, we pray that what will be revealed is a tenacity towards you that we cling to you regardless of the outcome that you help us represent you in all things. And then, Lord, just as Paul prayed, give us whatever it is that we will need in that time to faithfully represent you. Lord, for those of us who haven't come to that place of inviting you in, receiving your gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternity, and being part of your family, we look at you and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Give me your forgiveness I want to be part of your family and I I want to be the, the man or woman that you've called me to be. I want a relationship with you. And so as you enter into my life from this day forward, as best I can as you lead me, I want to follow you. And he promises that if you invite him in, he will never leave. Father, thank you for the past 23 years, all that you've done, all that you're doing and all that you plan to do. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. We love you guys and we'll see you next time.